Thanks for tuning in to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan with Adobe. For those of you that are new to the pod, we explore the world of product marketing through the lens of the women who run it at some of the fastest growing technology companies in the world. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. You're losing 30% of your deals to your competitors. Not cool. That competitive revenue gap is costing your business millions of dollars. So how do you tip the scale in your favor? Clue's competitive enablement platform makes it simple for product marketers and compete pros to give their revenue teams the exact right intel at the exact right time. Positioning, messaging, objection handling, and FUD, Clue shares real-time competitive insights in the places your reps already live. It makes it easy for them to contribute insights from the field. All right, let's do this. Hello and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan with Adobe. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Candace Sparks, the Director of Product Marketing at Attentive. Candace has a wealth of product marketing experience in the startup world, including roles at Pure Street, SADA Systems, Newstar, and Exactly. She recently held an AMA on stakeholder relations, and I cannot wait to dig into her experience more today. Welcome, Candace. Thank you so much, Mary. I'm so excited to be here today. We're so excited to have you. And let's start off with our first question of season five, which is, could you share a time when you have failed and what you learned from it? Yes, of course. These types of questions always bring up all those emotions of, oh gosh, what's a good example of a time I fail that I don't feel totally embarrassed to tell, but I was going through and thinking about some of this. And one thing that really stood out to me is a recent example When I joined Attentive about a year ago, I had joined in April and we were strumming along to this big product launch for our new email product. And part of my role for leading the email product marketing was to put together our launch plan. And that included our event deck, our positioning, why we built Attentive email, et cetera. And I was about two months into this role. So with that, you have a lot of that imposter syndrome and unease. And I put together this deck, presented it to the exec team on, here's what I think we should go forward to launch our email product. And I was faced with a lot of resistance, a lot of negative feedback. I was totally embarrassed at my early stages of a company. You really want to feel like you landed your first project. But what I really learned with that was one, the small foundational projects of getting positioning alignment, testing your messaging in the market, getting stakeholder buy-in early is so important versus trying to get those quick wins on the board. So at the time it was really uncomfortable. I was unhappy with my performance that I didn't get V1 hundred percent, but it did remind me that you have to slow down and really test that messaging, get alignment and see if you can kind of corral the troops before you just go out and present. Well, thank you for sharing something so raw and vulnerable because I know we've all been there. And especially in the first 90 days, you're trying to say, hey, I have all this experience. You guys hired me. I'm amazing. But then to have it not go as planned, that hurts. So I feel you. And thank you for sharing that. But it sounds like you 
took a step back, were able to learn so much from it and obviously have been really successful there. So I'm glad that you're able to kind of go back to the basics and figure out the fundamental issues with why they're giving you that feedback and really move forward from there. It sounds like it was a good learning experience, although I'm sure painful and not super fun at the time. Totally. It does allow you to get that exec exposure really early on and build from there, but those are always hard, but great learning lessons. Well, before we move forward and hear a little bit more about your role at Attentive Now, I'm just so excited to have you on the show. So I have to share this story. So Candace reached out to me on, I think it was like January 4th. And you said, one of my goals this year, one of my New Year's resolutions is to be on a podcast and I've been listening and I think that I'd be a great fit for the show. And I just thought, wow, what a go-getter. It's four days into the new year. She's reaching out cold. We didn't have any other connections and thought you were such a good fit. And so here you are. So I just want to say thank you so much for reaching out and look what can happen when you step outside your boundaries. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's funny because I'm actually staring at my screen and I have my vision board on my back of my computer screen. And one of the pictures is someone holding a mic and it was for a podcast. And I just have to say, I've had so much inspiration from your podcast. You've had so many great speakers, such a wealth of knowledge that I wanted to also share my experience so that hopefully people at their stages of the career that I'm in could learn from me. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. I'm so excited to be here. Of course. Well, I love how you manifested it. And now you're one of the people giving back too. So this is so amazing. Well, let's move on and let's hear more about Attentive and your role there. What do you do as a director of product marketing there? Yeah. So just to give a little bit of context into Attentive, Attentive is a conversational firm that specializes in SMS and email marketing. When we first started about six years ago, we focused solely on being the leader in SMS marketing. We work with over 8,000 brands today, but what we really heard feedback on from our brands that we work with is that they would really like to consolidate their email and their SMS marketing strategy under one platform. I think there was a time that a lot of brands were starting to move to best-in-class solutions, and they had all these different disparate solutions for each problem they're solving. And so now I think there's a kind of a movement happening for consolidation where brands are looking to tighten their budgets or looking to bring everything under one roof. So we launched Attentive Email or we started building Attentive Email. And that's really where I was hired about a year ago. So my role at Attentive is the director of product marketing for our email product. And what that means is I really own the full stack of our product marketing for this product from our sales enablement to our go-to-market strategies, our product and roadmap development. And a lot of the work I've been doing the last year is really just integrating the email product into our corporate and narrative positioning. So one of the really exciting things for me has been helping shift a single product company to a multi-product platform, which has a lot of challenges, but is super exciting. And on the other hand, 20% of my time, I say, is also dedicated to our TAM expansion and leading the product marketing efforts for our new verticals that we're going after. So lots of fun, new initiatives, new challenges, and kind of strategically shifting the corporate direction. I love that. And that is such a challenge and an exciting one to move from the single to multi-product. And so glad that they have you at the helm. So I have an understanding that you moved to Attentive for a specific challenge. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
Yeah. So when I started my career, I've been in product marketing from the get-go, but have always been in more of a startup series A, B, C type of company where I'm either, you know, the first product marketer or one of few product marketers. And with that, I realized that I was becoming very much of a generalist. I was learning a lot. I was wearing a ton of different hats, even from like event to demand gen, but I was getting stretched really thin. And I realized that I didn't have one sole superpower in product marketing. And you know, after doing some soul searching, I said to myself, I think what I need is a bigger, more established company. Um, we're about attentives, about 1300 people to get a much more narrow focus and granular view of product marketing and kind of start flexing those different superpowers in product marketing. So my goal from jumping to Peer Street, which was about 250 people to attentive, which is about 1200 and much more built out organizations in terms of process and products and frameworks was to get a little bit more specialized so I could need to accelerate my career. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I think we talk about full stack a lot on this show, but I love the little asterisk that's like, yes, full stack and specialization. So you can kind of lean in certain areas and get a good understanding and go deep. I think a lot of people approach it the backwards way where they become an expert in product launches or sales enablement, and then they become a generalist. So it's really cool to see that you were really thoughtful about, okay, I have the breadth. Now let's do the depth in terms of understanding on that. That's super interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think I've heard it as like the T-shaped marketer. You have a lot of breadth and a lot of different facets, but like, what's that one superpower, that one thing that you're really, really specialized at. So yeah, that's exactly what I was after. That's super interesting. And I wanted to dig in a little bit more on your experience as the first marketing or first product marketing hire rather, which you call the zero to one product marketer. I've definitely been there before too, and it can be a really fun role, but it can also be really overwhelming. And I actually get this question a lot, like, should I take this job where I'm the first product marketer? So I wanted to dig into that with you a little bit. First of all, what has helped you be the most successful when you are that first product marketing hire? Yeah, I think a lot of it is realizing that a lot of the different functions that are existing at that startup are already doing product marketing in some fashion. So the product team is running their launches, your marketing team is creating positioning, but there's really a lack of education around the opportunity of what product marketing can do and actually how you can help other teams do it better. So a lot of it is coming in and being that first product marketer to not only educate on what a product marketing function really does and how they can help other teams, but it's also laying the foundation. And I think a lot of the wins in that being that first product marketer comes in bringing process, having that tiered launch framework, bringing persona development. And so I think being as much more fragmented in terms of your processes, in terms of your roles and responsibilities become super important or people continue to just work in the status quo that, well, I've done product launches since I've been here. So how can I help educate them on the product marketing role and making sure that I'm being a partner to them versus just taking on their previously responsibilities? The other important thing is to really understand the dynamics of the organization. So 
is this a product-led organization or is this a sales-led organization? And that should help inform how you want to kind of hit the ground running in terms of starting your product marketing support. So does sales need a lot more sales enablement or does product need help finding product market fit? So those are kind of some of the, the steps I take to hit the ground running. Those are all so great. Yeah, I think the process one really resonates with me too. I, I recall a few times bringing in kind of basic calm docs or yeah, a go-to-market checklist or something that is kind of like, oh yeah, this is really obvious, but if they're the first product marketing, it can be a total game changer. So just making sure you're checking the boxes on all the things that you're an expert at. And then I love your rationale around prioritizing about who's in charge here, where are the biggest bets that I can make with sales or product, depending on how the organization is set up. Cause you can't do everything. Exactly. So how, do you, how do you make sure that you're putting your resources in the right place? Exactly. What about red flags? So meaning someone's really eager to hire you. You're going to be their first product marketing. When do you run for the hills? <laughs> Not take the job. Yeah, I think times I've seen that be somewhat of a concern is if one, they haven't found product market fit yet. So like if I'm not really passionate about the product and, or they're not seeing growth and traction in the market, those are two really big red flags for me, because especially the passion about the product, you're not going to want to go in and create all this positioning and these personas and the competitive analysis if you're not excited about what they're building and solving for. And secondly, I think even if there isn't a strong marketing presence or product marketing presence at, at the startup yet, the executives need to understand the impact that product marketing can have even if they don't have it today. So there needs to be a mutual alignment on where product marketing is going to have a seat at the table. And if that isn't really clear during your interview process or even in your first 90 days, that's something that would be a cause for a red flag for me. Such good points. So product market fit, growth, and do you have a seat at the table? Is there respect for the product marketing profession? Do they really understand that they desperately need it and that you're not just going to be a one sheet creator, but a strategic partner with the rest of the organization? Those are such good points. Great. Okay. Well, mark those down, everyone, for your next interview. <laughs> I'd love to hear more about when you are in that role, the zero to one phase, what are you doing in the first 90 days to try to make an impact? Yeah. So I think interestingly, I've never actually been in the same domain in any of my roles that I've been in. So like exactly was a sales compensation software. Pier Street was a marketplace for investing in real estate. Attentive is obviously an SMS and email marketing platform. So what that means is that oftentimes I come in and I'm not the domain expert and that can cause a little bit of unease and hitting the ground running and being that SME or the subject matter expert. So for me, it's super important to be listening to gong calls, getting the common objections we're hearing from our sales team, speaking to customers, hearing how they're using the product, what pain points they have, even attending events. So getting on your field events and in those conferences to see what types of questions, how we're demoing. So that's really important is getting a more on the ground view of what the pain points we're solving for some of those industry trends and being very curious about that that you're entering into. Then I would also say my first 90 days is about going on that listening tour. I think everyone talks about that in terms of 
how can you just talk to as many people as you can? And I like to approach it in that I bring three common questions to every conversation I have. And maybe it's, you know, what's preventing us from 10xing the growth of our business? And what you'll hear is a lot of differences in those answers, but a lot of patterns and themes. And that can help identify gaps of where product marketing can really step in. So is it that we're not converting enough of our SQLs, whatever it may be, but really starting to get those themes and those patterns from your peers and teammates. And then I think the last one's really obvious, but it's super important. It's really building relationships, like being a normal, curious, empathetic human and getting to know your teammates, establishing that trust. 90 days, I don't really expect someone to really fully deliver a lot that isn't backed by data. So as much as you can, just get to know your peers, bring data where you can through those listening tours and the industry research, and then start to implement your plans of action. Such good points. Yeah, the relationship building, you'd be surprised how people kind of forget that. But all of a sudden, you're partnering, you're working together, there needs to be a little bit of a relationship built on mutual trust. And I think it's even harder now that we're all sort of in this weird, like hybrid remote, like sometimes you see people in person, so you can't just build relationships, seeing each other in person, you have to really do it with data, but also use five minutes of your meeting, maybe to ask about your weekends or things like that, that just really help you build that common ground. So I'm really glad you brought that one up. I think it's not totally obvious for a lot of product marketers. It's obviously we're drawn to this role because we are good at that, but I think that's really important for anyone that's in their first 90 days. Okay. And this one is hard, I'm sure, because it depends on the industry and a lot of factors, but who do you hire first? You're the first product marketer. What's your next hire? Yeah, I think it's spot on what you said. It's really hard to have like a one size fits all solution. And it's definitely dependent on what I was talking about earlier in terms of sales led, product led, where you are in product fit. But I think a lot of what I look for, and this was an example at Peer Street, is hiring for your gaps. So knowing what you're not great at or where you particularly don't love to do. So you're naturally not great at. And so being able to really understand that within that company, let's say they need someone who's really strong in pricing and packaging, market insights, and that's not my forte. Being really ruthless about understanding where my gaps are and then hiring for those roles is something that I would take into consideration. And then also, I think being very understanding of where the position of the company is in terms of product-led growth or sales-led growth and just what you need at that time. But I think it's a lot, oftentimes understanding your own gaps and then hiring for those around it. That's such a good way to give anyone a framework on it. It's just, what are the gaps that you currently have in the business or your skill set? I love that. All right. Well, now I'd love to move on to a related topic and one that you recently did an AMA with Sharebird on stakeholder relations, something we were dipping our toes in the water earlier on. So this is, I love this question, whoever asked this, but How do you communicate product marketing achievements upwards and build visibility? Yeah, I love this question too, because it's often something we talk about on my team. How do we applaud our wins and get exposure for the team and build transparency on what we're working on? And one of the challenges is that product marketing doesn't have as many core KPIs as something like demand gen or events. And so oftentimes... When you're doing these like monthly recaps or share outs, it can come off as a bit 
fluffy or non-strategic. And so I think what's really important here is to one, just like organically share your work. Product marketers naturally get a lot of visibility because of how broad our scope is of work and oftentimes working on highly strategic products. So making sure that you're sharing out in your sales all hands, new collateral, sharing internal trainings on new product launches that are upcoming. So there's that naturally organic way of building visibility that isn't so forced. But then I also think there's a really important part of, you know, actually stating out your achievements and accomplishments and creating that visibility and That's definitely done through monthly recaps or roundups. And also you can even integrate it into your like marketing team's monthly roundups. But we have started to think about what are some of our quarterly plans? What are the KPIs that we're moving in regards to those quarterly plans? And then what are like the three deliverables? And that's how we've started to kind of capture our share outs and build more visibility around our team. But it's definitely a really hard thing to do because you don't want to just say, we launched three new features last month. What was the impact of that? How can we start measuring our projects against those KPIs? So it's definitely something that I think we're working on from a product marketing team ourselves, but we do a really good job as product marketers, just organically building that visibility. I love that there's a framework to it though. It's like, what's your plan? What are you trying to do? Let's share it out. Let's give updates on it because I think repetition is so important too with the wins. People come to expect it. It doesn't seem so like random when they hear about a launch or new features or anything that you're doing. So I think that's really clever that you're thinking about that. And I really think if you're not talking about this with your product marketing team, you should be in 10% of your time. Maybe that's an exaggeration. Maybe it's not. It should be spent communicating internally what you do since we do have so many stakeholders as product marketers. So glad you're thinking about it thoughtfully. Yeah, on my team the other day, we were talking about like, hey, when one of us posts something in the product channel, make sure everybody likes it and knows that it's so we amplify, like just kind of silly organic things, but making sure that you're getting that limelight when you can. Really? So really important. All right. So the next question from the AMA is that, PMMs are typically tasked with a really broad scope, balancing both strategic and tactical work and serving as the cross-functional glue across multiple teams. How do you combat burnout for your team? I think this kind of actually goes back to visibility into your team and creating transparency onto what your team's working on so that people are very clear the bandwidth you have, the prioritization you have in place, what kind of key projects are on in flight or on the docket for this quarter. So one thing I think that really helps with this is creating those quarterly, and in some cases, if you can, annual plans. So really including what are the top OKRs or KPIs of the company, and then what are we doing as a product marketing team to really help support those. And why I think this is so important is that If you have those quarterly plans, then when new requests come in that don't fit under your current prioritization or isn't part of kind of like the strategic OKRs and KPIs that your company's working on, that really helps give you that ammo or that support to say, look, these are the three other things we have prioritized in place. 
here's what would need to happen to slot this new project in. And it allows people to really understand the impact of what requests they're making. So I think being as transparent and visible about your team's bandwidth, current projects in flight, and then what your game plan is, is super important. And this is a bit of a challenge, but as much as you can do this ahead of the quarter and get those quarterly plans in and try and, you know, go meet with all your stakeholders, understand what the roadmap is from a product standpoint or sales needs so that you can bake those in early, that's super critical. And then this one's kind of like maybe a silly answer, but one thing that I've really enjoyed at Attentive is that our executives talk about their top three things that they're working on or focusing on any given month. And we also do that on our team as well, talking about here's the top three things that we're working on. And as new kind of fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh things come in, this helps identify here's your top three stack rank. If you want to move six and seven up, then you're going to have to get rid of two and three. So it helps kind of create alignment across the organization and just a strong sense of visibility. All such great points. Thanks so much for sharing. And I love the top three and especially that the executives are sharing that. And so you can align to that and then showing your stakeholders the plan and actually saying, all right, if you're asking for this, what comes off of this list? And often they go find someone else to do it or they exactly. it's not worth it. It's funny how quickly that conversation changes when you have that. So that's such a good point. All right. Last question from the AMA. And this actually might go back to the very first question we talked about today, but when coming up with positioning and messaging as part of a go-to-market plan, which key stakeholders should weigh in? Yeah, well, definitely from our first question, get executive buy-in, <laughs> but no, probably even before that. One thing that's been really unique at Attentive is how strong our client strategy team is. They really work hand in hand with our customers and it's definitely a differentiator for us. So they're very much like boots on the ground feedback. So as much as I can test our messaging with the client strategy team, that's super helpful. One kind of like area that maybe technically falls under sales is actually like a sales engineer. They get so much great feedback and demos. They get a ton of objections. They have oftentimes a wealth of knowledge of the competitive landscape. So not just sales AEs, but sales engineers in particular are because I like to really partner closely with. And then lastly, I think what better way than to get the words out of the customer's mouths themselves is just go directly to your customers. You know, how can you take your messaging in a customer advisory board or even just like an A-B test in an email to really get that quick feedback on whether or not this messaging resonates with them? Plus one to all of those. And I love the call specifically about the sales engineers. They're kind of like the super feedback filter. They hear it all. And if you get one really on your side, you'll really appreciate all the things that they have. It's like sometimes <laughs> they see all the use cases and the edge cases, and they're able to help you understand and kind of go through a lot of the feedback that the sellers might be giving you directly. I feel like they, they know what's up. So <laughs> I love that though. Find a sales engineer bestie and kind of yes. just <laughs> harness to them. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing the AMA and for recapping it here. That was really fun. I can't believe it, but we're already at our lightning round question. So here we go. Here is the first one. Who have been your strongest PMM mentors? Yeah. So I was thinking about this and I kind of have this philosophy that 
Mentors are kind of like your friends. So you have friends for different reasons. You have friends to work out with, you have friends to grab a drink with or coffee. And similarly, I've had mentors along the way that have given me advice or direction for different things. So starting out my career, I had two really great PMM bosses that kind of just like led the foundation of what product marketing is for me and gave me those opportunities early on. I had a recent boss, Michael Loop, who really gave me actually the leadership exposure and giving me that seat at the table. He did a really great job of teaching me how to speak in a board meeting, feel confident presenting in an exec offsite, et cetera. So I would say there's been mentors at different stages for different things that I'm looking for. And then I also just think my actual PMM teammates, you learn so much from where those gaps are that you have yourself that they may have. And I've really leaned on different teammates in my career to kind of help me get deeper in something that they're really great at. I love this answer so much. And especially the friends and the workout friends and the drink friends and also your peers. Those are so great. But yeah, mentors can be anywhere and kind of help you fill those gaps. If you don't know how to do a product launch and you're really good at market research, like switch and learn. Exactly. <laughs> That's so awesome. What would you say is one thing that's been the most important in terms of growing your career? I think it's really having that time for self-reflection and, you know, actively planning and managing your own development. So what I said earlier in regards to my experience at Peer Street, I started to feel as if I was outgrowing myself in terms of my capabilities. So being very self-aware to say... I don't have XYZ skill set, and to get to the next level, I need to do that. And so I think being very ruthless about those gaps and goals that you have, and then going and putting an action plan to figure out how to brush up on them. And then also sometimes we see these potential jobs that are maybe over index of our experience, or we don't have enough supporting examples to get that job. But there, I have a philosophy that every job you take, you should know 80% of it and feel really confident that you can do 80% of the job really well. But that 20% that you're like, ooh, ee, that makes me feel super uncomfortable, that's your growth opportunity. So kind of shooting for those next levels and understanding that you will be able to learn it and here's my plan of how I'm going to learn it. But I think knowing when you've hit your growth potential at that company or that role and kind of putting in that action plan to figure out what's next. Wow. That's such a strong answer. And it's amazing that you can be that self-aware to understand that and to go after the next role to do that. So thank you so much for sharing that and a little bit how you go about it. Yeah, of course. All right. How do you network? So, well, it's funny because I guess in some ways reaching out to you is somewhat networking, uh, but I don't think it's as easy as it used to be. Like the very natural post-work happy hours or workout classes or whatever was so much more easier or accessible prior to COVID. And now I'm a fully remote job. So I do find this, you know, somewhat challenging, what I like to do is applaud old coworkers when I see them move on to new jobs, if they have a baby, kind of like reach out to them and kind of keep connections with old coworkers because those oftentimes evolve into connections that you don't expect. But I definitely think it's something that I could continue to brush my skills up on. And I think just putting yourself out there, like 
you know, I said in my message to you, I'm shooting my shot. I'm getting a jump start on my New Year's resolution. So people are willing to help other people, especially if you can in any way bring value to them. So just putting yourself out there and trying is the easiest and best part of networking. That's awesome. And I have to say you had a very clear ask in your cold outreach message. So it's like, oh, okay, I understand what Candace wants to connect on. And this is really clear. So thank you for making that so easy. And I think that's another thing you did really well in terms of connecting today. Awesome. All right. Last question for you. Why product marketing? So I actually grew up with a dad that worked in technology and it was pretty much always ingrained in me for him to say, stay close to the product. If you end up going into technology or business, as much as you can stay close to the product, you'll really reap rewards of that. And I think why he said that is because when you're near the product, you're often near the strategic direction of the company. You have a ton of opportunity for influencing the roadmap, working on those strategic initiatives that are really painting the direction for where the company is going to go. So from an early stage of interning in college, it was always kind of like an idea that I wanted to be near product. But saying that, I also have this arm of like creativity to me. And so I think product marketing really blends the kind of product function of more logical, more regimented, more process oriented with that creative element that has been super appealing to me. And then also I love being kind of at that center of the organization where you have collaborations with everyone. You're working with engineers to legal, to marketing, to sales. There's never the same day just because of those relationships across the org. And it just makes it really super fun. And I've absolutely loved being in product marketing and wouldn't change it for the world. What a beautiful answer and cheers to your dad for knowing that long ago and telling you that as you grew up. She's like, I got to be close to the product. Totally. (laughs) Well, Candice, thank you so much for all of your amazing knowledge that you shared with us today. I learned a lot and love this conversation and it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for sharing your insights with everyone. Yeah. Thank you so much again. Super excited and happy to be here and looking forward to chatting soon. Thank you. This show is produced by Sharebird the knowledge sharing platform for the fastest growing teams. It's the place to get on-demand answers to your questions and learn from leaders in the top of their field. Want more advice and insights? Head to sharebird.com.